Today, I had the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Jamie Zuckerman, who is a licensed clinical psychologist and national expert in narcissistic abuse. She is a highly sought-after relationship coach for both men and women nationwide who are experiencing or have experienced narcissistic abuse in relationships of all types. Today, we are talking about how to distinguish a narcissist from someone who has narcissistic traits. Dr. Z shares narcissistic behaviors to look out for when dating, so you can prevent falling into the trap of these abusive relationships. She also teaches strict boundaries to set and ways to heal yourself with a whole lot of love, kindness, and compassion while navigating a breakup from a narcissist. She's an amazing teacher and she's doing great work around this topic. I think it's a very important topic and I hope you gain something from our conversation too. Welcome to the Let's Talk Love podcast, where we flip the script on outdated narratives and cliches about love and relationships. I'm your host, Robin Ducharme, founder of Real Love Ready. This podcast is for anyone who wants to be better at love, regardless of relationship status. We'll talk about the intimate connections in our lives and the challenges and complexities inherent in those partnerships. Through our no-holds-barred interviews with global experts, we'll gain insight about ourselves and learn new skills to improve our relationships. Because when we learn to love better, we make the world a better place. Are you ready for open and honest conversations about love? Let's get started. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Let's Talk Love. I am so happy to introduce our guest today, Dr. Jamie Zuckerman. Thank you for joining us, Dr. Z. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited. <laughs> I have been um, waiting for this conversation, and I'm standing right now. I've got a standing desk that my husband gave me, and oh, I'm like feeling in my power. I'm like, we're talking about narcissists today. So this is... <laughs> One of these conversations, I'm like, put my black glasses on, I put my yes. heart, I put my love sweater on, on purpose, because you know I got, I got, you know, we got to be in our power, but also like, you got this is coming from a place it's a of whole love. strong for this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this is a rocky one. <laughs> this, this really is though, and this is what you do day yeah. in, day out. Is you're working and you're teaching and you're, um, you're, you're also, of course, uh, a therapist working with people that are dealing with narcissism, yeah. and narcissism in their relationships. And, um, my colleague and I, um, purchased and took your course. Great. Um, I left now what, right. Healing from narcissistic abuse in relationships. And it was a fantastic workshop. Um, okay. you packed in a lot in those 90 minutes. I was like, holy moly. I was taking so many notes. And, <laughs> and so I know the power, the, the power of the work that you're doing, Jamie, and it's, um, it's pretty incredible. And I've, and I've been listening to your yeah. podcast and learning so much from you. And I think that this conversation around narcissism um, has really blown up um, in the last, uh, what would you say, maybe 10 years, how were this, this word uh, yeah, narcissism has say, really. I would say even less than that. I, less I think than that. Yeah, I do. I think. And then I think the pandemic is kind of what really just magnified it. But I think it's mm -hmm. been out there for for you know, I'd say like a little less than 10 years. And then I think especially in the last couple, three years, it's really just, you know, just kind of exploded for, for better or worse with, you know, misinformation sometimes, but, but definitely is out there for sure. Yeah. But really that's what I was hoping to gain and give our, our listeners more insight on this topic and for us to learn more about what really, what, what really a narcissist is versus what it, what a person 
uh, may that may have narcissistic traits or features, like you say, is not necessarily like diagnosed as a narcissist. So what I thought we'd go, we'd start with like getting some education on learning about a narcissist. Um, and then we'll go into, you know, warnings. Like this is what, if you're dating somebody, these are the signs mm-hmm. to watch out for, or if you're in a relationship with somebody. Um, and then if you're break, if you are breaking up with them, you, you go through so much in your course around healing, which I don't think a lot of people talk about, right? We are focusing no. on the other person rather than if you are in a relationship with somebody, how do you overcome and heal through that? Because it, and from what you teach, it is such a long, rocky road. Um, and, and I just, so that's what I'm, I'm, I'm really hoping we get out of this hour. Sure. Yeah. Okay. No, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so can, can we go through learning about a narcissist and can you share with us the traits and features um, and behaviors of a narcissist and how even with some understanding, maybe some of our listeners can avoid the trappings mm-hmm. of these types sure. of people in the first place? <laughs> sure. Yeah, no. So I think, I think there's been a misconception about what narcissism is. You know, obviously mm-hmm. it is somebody that's grandiose in their ideas. Um, you know, kind of this larger than life, but not all the time. So there's different types of narcissists. There's yes. that malignant narcissist where, they're, you know, you, you know, they're, they're the same way they are with everybody out in public and you know what you're getting. And then you have covert narcissists, which could be the most lovely, charming people, but then behind closed doors are just monsters. And um, it becomes difficult to, to, to know what to look for because there are variations. But I would say kind of the hallmark traits of somebody with narcissistic personality disorder, grandiose sense of self, um, you know, kind of that means everything's about them. Everything relates back to them. They are very manipulative. They are very unempathetic. So there is a lack of empathy. They can fake empathy, but there really is a considerable lack of empathy for the harm that they're causing others. Um, They don't care what they need to do, who they need to hurt, who they need to step on to get what it is that they want. They're very much in need to control, not just a human being, but control their emotions, control their thinking. Um, They need to be admired. They need to be in charge. Um, you know, and they are very entitled, you know, if they harm somebody, well, that's not my problem. That's not my fault that you got upset. I I'm entitled to this. I'm entitled to have multiple partners. I'm entitled Mm -hmm. to take this money. It's mine. Mm -hmm. And they are aware. That's a hallmark sign. Yes. So there's, yes. So there's variations on this because obviously if you bring it to their attention, they're going to deny it, mm. plain and simple. But sometimes, you know, a lot of times people have a really difficult, and I understand why it's a tough pill to swallow, to know that they know exactly what they're doing. The calculated behaviors, the manipulation, the strategic planning, it seems so automatic and it seems so bizarre that it would be in their awareness. And so sometimes what I tell people is because it's been going on for so long and these have been their patterns for so long, it may present as habitual. So it may seem like it's just kind of automatic for them and that they're not aware. But when brought to their attention, they're very much aware that they're doing it. Now, they're not necessarily aware of, I'm super insecure. I don't like how this is making me feel. So let me project it onto somebody else. Not necessarily at that level of awareness, although maybe some are, but it's more, they know exactly what behaviors they're doing and why. And so you just pointed on, you, you said something, and this was a learning for me this week, was um, 
you say part of them deep, deep down has a low self-esteem and feeling inadequate. And so they do everything to prevent everyone from seeing this in them. Is that, is that, do you, is that, is that true for narcissists? Is that deep down they have this? I don't think it's true for all. I I don't think it's true for all. I do think it's true for some. Um, I think that some based on upbringing and just based on the way that they have decided to carry this with them from childhood into now, some genuinely believe that they are, you know, entitled the best above the law, above others, the rules don't apply to them. Whereas others will act the same, but maybe deep down somewhere they are wounded and to never feel that wound again, they kind of put on this suit of armor, which is narcissism. Nobody is ever going to hurt them again. They will do the hurting themselves. They will have everything within their control. So that never happens, which is why when you challenge that, or when you figure the narcissist out, the second they feel vulnerable, they can't take constructive feedback. So the second they feel vulnerable, you're going to get what's called narcissistic rage, which mm-hmm. is just extreme anger or extreme manipulation, or they will just, the silent treatment for weeks, they'll pick up and leave. You'll have no idea what you did wrong. Um, so so you do see that when that wound is is kind of touched. Wow. And of course, gaslighting would be like a yes. hallmark behavior. Yes. Right. It's like, I yes. didn't do anything. It's you. It's Correct. just this I, not yes. taking responsibility. They will never so, take accountability for their actions. And so what, what about saying sorry? Like, will a narcissist say sorry? And if they do, like, are they doing it for manipulative purposes? Yes. Yes. Or not from a sincere place? Correct. So they will say they're sorry if it looks good to the community, if it gets them something that they need. So let's say their significant other is threatening to leave them. They apologize. They agree to couples therapy. You know, they're doing it just so they can keep that person there. There isn't a sorry that is said without a motive because they don't believe they're doing anything wrong, nor do they feel they should apologize. Even if they did something wrong, it's the other person's fault for making them do that Hmm. or responding the way that they did. Yeah. And so you say narcissists view people as objects. So they will only move towards you if they need something or can benefit in that particular moment. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. such a calculated, and and this is why I think this this conversation is so important, Doctor Z, is because I think we overuse the word narcissist and we don't understand actually. Like, if you're a full blown narcissist, then like this is this is abuse. This is not yes. like there's. And if you're, and if you are this way in all facets of your life, then that really shows that, but if you're not like you give the example of like somebody that is alpha and they're in their job, like they're, they're really strong. They're a CEO. They like, what would, what would you give, can you give us examples of like how somebody that has like quite a few narcissistic traits in like one facet of their life, mm-hmm. but they're not translating that into other areas of their life so that we can understand like, okay, that, that guy's acting, that person's acting like a narcissist, but they're not really a full-blown narcissist. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think you bring up a very, very good point that I want to stress is that somebody with narcissistic personality disorder, their style of interacting with the world, it's pervasive in every domain. It's not like they're just a jerk with you because you guys don't get along and everything else around them, they're, they're, they're not like that with, right? And even in abusive relationships, that doesn't mean that the person is a narcissist. Right. So all narcissistic abusive relationships are abusive, but not yes. all toxic abusive relationships are narcissistic. And so you could have somebody, let's say, you know, like if you were giving a presentation in your area of expertise, 
you would get up, you'd be confident, you'd say what you had to say. Um, you would, people would know that you are an expert. People would know that you're in charge. They would know to go to you with their questions. And you would have certain expectations for the people who are listening to you or certain expectations for the people who work for you, right? When you go home, that shifts, that role shifts. Now you're home, you know, now you're family and now you're this. And they, now, I mean, your personality is consistent, but you know when to pull it back, when to, you know, move it forward. You know when to be helpful and empathetic and you know when to listen versus kind of delegate. So it's, it's, it's not so much that um, people that aren't narcissists, you know, can't be like jerks. They, of course they can. But it's more about how you take that, those, as you said, characteristics and how you manage them when you're not in that situation anymore, because you're not going to act that like, I can't, I don't act the same when I'm working with a patient or I'm giving a presentation than I do with my children. Yes. Right. I can switch it up because that's, that's the proper social etiquette. Narcissists lack that ability to navigate different kind of social avenues. They don't care. Yes. It's just, it's not even that they're not aware. It just doesn't, it doesn't matter. They are the same person. They'll fake it, but they don't, there's like a cognitive awareness, but they don't have that empathetic awareness piece at all. I can think of people, and I'm sure we all can think of people in our lives that like, for instance, I can think of, um, uh, you know, some strong businessmen that I'm close to. And it's like, Oh yeah. Like in the boardroom. Oh my gosh. Like that guy, do you don't want to sit anywhere close to him? Like he's cold. He's serious. He's like on it. Right. And and he has a reputation for being that way in, in his industry. But then, you know, at home, totally different story. Like Mm -hmm. sit down, he's kind, loving, very caring, very empathetic, very genuine, beautiful person, but he's got that side to him. It's just like, whoop. Right. So I, I, I get yeah. it. I actually, yeah. I, I can get that. So you can't just label that person narcissistic because no. that's just not the way it is. So, Correct. um, you do say this as well. I mean, I imagine like a lot of people with narcissistic personality disorder are not coming to you. They're not coming nope. for help. <laughs> so how, like I did, I was curious how many people in our society, like, what is the numbers of this that like, is it one in a hundred? Is it like, what if, cause then how do you have accurate statistics Yeah, that's a great question. They're not coming to therapy. That's an excellent question. It's one of those types of diagnoses that unfortunately is kind of given kind of through somebody else relaying the behavior types to, to a therapist, let's say. So narcissists don't come for treatment. The times that they will present for treatment are, is if their significant other is making them go Mm -hmm. for couples, which I... If you've heard me talk, you say, you know that I say, I do not recommend couples therapy with a partner who is a narcissist. Do not do that. Go into your own therapy, but not couples therapy. Or if it's court mandated, let's say for co-parenting purposes or substance abuse, uh, DUIs, things like that. But they will not present for treatment unless they are trying to make somebody think that they're trying. Yes. Okay. Now, this is where you have to make sure that you have somebody who is aware of narcissistic behaviors because otherwise it is a, just a stage for them to perform. Yes. A complete waste of time. I was talking to my, so my girlfriend that we, that I work with about, and we took this course, our course, your course together. (laughs) We were talking about one of her ex-boyfriends who was, she's like, he was a narcissist and, you know, and a lot of behaviors that she was sharing with us. I'm like, oh yeah, I agree. And 
I'm not, I'm not a doctor, so how do, but, but I really do think so. Anyways, they did go to therapy and this therapist was clearly not trained in narcissistic personality disorder. And she said that exact thing. She said that he could, he charmed her the whole time mm-hmm. and there was and no therapy the happening. That, no. And yes. then your friend probably feels even more crazy, Absolutely. even less validated. And then what people don't realize is you, the person's not going to say too much. They still have to get in a car and drive home with a narcissist. And for those of you yes. who have been with narcissists, getting in a car with an angry narcissist. Well, not, you know, what, what I did learn about what I've been learning from you is like, there's no doubt that if you are in a relationship with somebody, whether it's what it, whatever capacity, whether they're um, a family member, your, your partner, um, your colleague, it is going to be an abusive relationship. Like how can you possibly have a healthy relationship with somebody that is a narcissist? You can't. Yeah. And you know, and I always tell this to people too, because I definitely get my fair share of nasty DMS on Instagram when I say this, but, um, you know, it's it, it, for a psychologist whose main job in life is to make people do better, live better, feel more fulfilled. For me to say that takes a lot, right? I, like for me I'm to sure. say there will never, you will never have a healthy relationship with them. I cannot stress that enough. You you won't, and it's never going to be your fault. And there's ways to navigate it. And so we can go through a few of those things because obviously there's some relationships that, you know, you, you know, this person and they, and let's say they are a narcissist, um, and they're related to you. It's not like you need to cut that person out of your life, but there has to be strict boundaries and that's what you teach. It's like, and that's really, really important. So let's talk about dating, dating a narcissist. Okay. So, and hopefully our listeners that who are dating, if any of these behaviors come up, run, run the other way. I really think that these are, like, if you're saying these are telltale signs to, to identify this person mm-hmm. is probably maybe a narcissist, then why wouldn't you run the other way? Right. Yeah. <laughs> so can you, can you give us some, please, can you tell us yeah. some signs when you would sure. like be able to say, okay, sure. So this isn't right. Signs of narcissistic behavior in the beginning stages of romantic relationships, it's going to feel really, really freaking good. That's the problem. It's going to feel so good. And it's going to be really difficult to even want to believe that this could not be true. So understand that you're not going to be able to break free from it just because it doesn't feel good. It's not worth it. It's going to feel incredible. So some of the telltale signs are It's not just I met somebody and I'm head over heels and like we're seeing each other every other day and we're talking all the time. It feels like a tidal wave. It is this massive, like just sweeps you off your feet. Things like, where have you been my whole life? You are my soulmate. I have been waiting for you. I have been praying for you. We almost have this our own language together. It's like, I've known you in a past life. And, and listen, odd people say, I met my soulmate on my first date. And I say, you know what? That's amazing. But you're in like the 0.001% category. You have to keep in mind, if somebody is telling you this on date number one, date number two, what are they basing it off of? We're not saying you're not amazing and lovely, but they, don't, they know absolutely nothing about you. You're a stranger in the first day. Absolutely. You're my yeah. soulmate. I mean, like based on what you don't even know my middle name, right? Like based <laughs> on information. So that's number one. Yeah. Number two. I could be is, jobless. I could be a total slob at home. I could be real. all these things. You're not going to love that. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So there's that aspect of it. Um, 
there's going to be a ton of interim conversation between dates. I mean, constant texting, sending flowers to your office constantly, flowers at home, buying you extravagant gifts, taking you on vacation extremely fast. You're meeting friends, you're meeting family. It is a whirlwind. The sex yes. is incredible. You, you know, the, the, the attentiveness they're giving you is incredible. You have never been like this before. They just want to take care of you. They start making promises about, oh, if, I mean, if, they, if we're like this now on date number three, can you even, even imagine where we'll be in three months? Like, we'll probably be engaged, living together. So they make these future-oriented, future-faking type promises to keep the person in. Yes. Future faking. Watch out for future faking. Right. And then the other thing is this. What you'll find is they will make you feel so unbelievably comfortable, so fast with them that you will feel very comfortable talking about things in your past, things about your vulnerabilities that you never would talk about with somebody you just met recently. And they'll yes. say things like, oh, yeah, I don't speak to my dad. I don't speak to my dad either. You know, isn't that so hard? Doesn't that suck? Yeah. And so they start to get you to talk about things that you normally wouldn't talk about so early or so soon. And they store it right back here. Because what happens is they then use it against you later on down the road when the manipulation starts. If you hear things like all of the other exes are crazy um, or, you know, they have friends, but like they have a lot of acquaintances, but no one really strongly connected. That was um, an interesting one, Dr. Z, that I was, I was like, mm, that's an interesting one. Do they have close friends? Because most likely they, they tend to have a lot of surface friendships, but not yes. deep friendship, like long-term Correct. friendships. Correct. And if they have long-term friendships, each, each one has a purpose. So mm. it's more about the purpose that that they feel for that narcissist rather than having a long-term friendship, like my friendship with my, you know, friend from nursery school. It, it's not the same thing. It's, it's, it's holding on for a purpose to say, this is my friend since nursery school, because it looks like you're able to maintain connections. Yeah. Everybody yeah. is an object to them. Um, what I tell people is when you have these symptoms, you see these things in the beginning and you really don't want to believe them to be bad because they feel so good, test it. Because if somebody's really that into you, this shouldn't make a difference. So what I tell people to do is say no to somewhere you're supposed to go. Cancel the date. Mm. Don't text them back right away. Say you were busy. Or say you don't feel like going out because you're tired, but then like a couple hours later, just run out for a quick dinner with your friends. See what their response is. If their response is considerably disproportionate to the situation, that's something to keep an eye out for. If they get angry at you, if they just stop talking to you for two weeks, wow, it's something to pay attention to. So test it. If they like you, they're not going to, it's no big deal. Yes. And I don't really, you know, we're in the dating process. I don't owe you anything. This Correct. is like, we're still getting to know each other. Correct. But if I think, I think that this is something that, I mean, I've heard this, like one of my best friends was dating a man who um, within like, I think it was within the first few weeks, they're decorating the Christmas tree with his ex and the, all the kids. I mean, uh-huh. he's, she's already meeting his kids. Mm-hmm. He's talking about they're planning future trips. He's sharing yep. his financial information with her. It was a lot. That would be a big red flag. Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Okay. So love bombing, that would be like the stage of love bombing, yeah. right? 
Mm-hmm. Okay. And then, so let's say you are into a relationship with somebody. You're yeah. past that, you know, the honeymoon phase it could last for as long as the love, love bombing phase could last for as long as it's going to. And then you said a telltale flip into that relationship with a narcissist is the devaluing stage. Yes. So what will start to happen is once they have you, once they have kind of solidified the relationship, they know that, that, that you are vulnerable with them. They know that they have stuff on you. They know that they've gotten you in deep and you're starting to kind of isolate from your friends a little bit. And you really haven't seen your parents that much. And you'll start to hear things like, Oh, you know, your friend, Jamie from college, mm, there's something about her. I don't trust that. Are you really, I'm surprised you really like her. You guys seem so different. And Mm. so that stuff starts to happen. And it's like like, isolation, right? Yes. But it's very, very subtle. And this is what I try to explain to people because people always say, how did they stay with them? Why would they stay with them? This is why. Because if you think of a faucet, it's like this drip, drip, drip over months, years. And before you know it, you turn around and you're drowning. But as it's dripping, you don't realize the accumulation of these things over time. Hmm. And so it's not like when this switches, all of a sudden, everything's vastly different. It's very subtle and very calculated. And then sometimes when you argue, they'll bring the love bombing back in a little bit, never to the full extent, because that's never who they were. Hmm. And it's almost kind of like a drug addiction model where they keep the person keeps trying to get the person if they could just get back to who they used to be. Yes, like in the beginning, we were so in love, right? That's right. The problem is that person never existed. That was fake. The person that they are now is who they are. So they will start to slowly strip you of your self-confidence. They will slowly start to isolate you. So, you know, things like, is your mom always so overbearing with you? Like, you need to set some boundaries with her, right? So it starts to kind of... Uh, separate you from people. And then things like, oh, you're going to, I like you a lot better without makeup. Oh, okay. You know, and so it's, 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 they start to do these things, very subtle things. And you, what ends up happening is there's kind of like lies by omission and, and little white lies that the person starts to tell because they went to work, they put on makeup, but they take it off real fast because they don't want their significant other to get upset. And then the significant other finds the makeup wipes in the car. And then, you know, you're lying and what else are you lying about? And and so it grows and it festers and it, it's very tricky and very manipulative. Um, and so controlling. The other thing you talk so about, which is so, which is like, if you're in a long-term relationship, where I don't, I don't know how the time limit on this, but it's probably different for every relationship, but it's like... It, the control is so much more like, okay, let's have a, you don't need your own account anymore. Let's have a shared account or just use my account. Oh, forget about that Carly. So it should be in my name. You don't need it. Like why? I'll take care of the payments. And Uh then next thing you know, you have no credit rating. You have no credit rating or you have ruins credit or you have no access to any of your assets, your finances, and that's financial abuse. So when you say like, oh, he said I can use his credit card whenever I want. And like, I don't even have to pay for my car. He's going to take the lease over or I don't have to work anymore. I just sit, sit home and relax. I deserve it. What they're doing is they're setting to setting you up to isolate yourself in all areas. And that's financial abuse. And a lot of times people don't realize it in the beginning because people are inherently good. So why on earth would somebody want to deliberately put you in this situation? But it's so you can't leave. 
Yes. And the gaslighting, what they do is where they will, it's the gaslighting isn't just disagreeing with somebody and it's not lying. There's, there's a difference. Gaslighting is where you deliberately tell the person that what they're experiencing, which is accurate, is not accurate. And so you start to doubt your own perception of reality. And not only is it upsetting, but it's scary. And what ends up happening because you're isolated from all these other people in your world, the only person you have at your disposal to test things against is the narcissist. So the narcissist controls your perception of reality. You don't know what end is up. You don't even know that you're being abused. And your perception of yourself is just so warped and your sense of self is so stripped down. That's why when people do eventually get out, I'll have people, they all say, I'm a shell of my former self. I don't even know what my favorite color is. I don't know what music I like because they've just been kind of stripped of that for so long. You're confused and you're full of shame and you feel so isolated. And something that I just appreciate so much is how you are, you know, you're just, this is not your fault. I mean, it's just like if you're in an abusive relationship, this is not, you're not to blame. And you're, you know, you say that over and over again in your work and I, and it's so it's, it's, it's hard to believe sometimes. Cause you're like, how did I put, I'm a very smart, intelligent person. I'm a loving person. And I'm like, how did I end up in this circumstance? Like, you know, you just feel like how, you yeah. take, you, you just want to take all the responsibility. Like I did this to myself. I hear that all the time. I have one, one, one person, um, actually one of my friends that had gone through this, she was a pen attorney. She was like top, one of the top law firms. And 20 something years later, she's like, what, where did I go? Like, what happened to me? How did I get here? And it's such a common, unfortunate, but it's such a common thing to say, because like I said, you, it it happens so in such a subtle calculated manner that you don't even know what's happening. Yeah. And so let's talk about when you're, if you, if you are able to, um, distance and break up with somebody that you haven't been in a relationship with a narcissist. Okay. There, if let's just say that, that the narcissist decides, I don't want to be with you anymore. Telltale would be like, they just discard you. Like, it's mm-hmm. just like spilled milk mm-hmm. <laughs> or soured milk. I think mm-hmm. the saying is uh-huh. oh, you're out. And then it's just like gone, disappeared. Right. Mm-hmm. However, if you're the one that decides to leave, then you're, you're in for a very, very, and, and maybe if they made the decision too. Can you talk about that? Because you say that it's not a typical breakup. There's a very long process. And it's just because you're not just losing the relationship, you're you're dealing with the loss of yourself and the self-concept and their self-esteem. But it's also, it's like you're at, it's almost like you liken it to a war, right? Like now you're dealing with another, like somebody that really didn't want this in the beginning and they still want to control you. Yes. So even if a narcissist breaks up with you, discards you, is done with you. They're never done with you. Meaning they will figure out how to come back somehow, whether it's starting drama because they know it's your birthday. So maybe Mm. they just decide to send you a text message that you're a horrible person, or maybe they wish you a happy birthday, or the holiday season's coming up and holiday, it's like playground for the narcissist. And, um, you know, they hear you're getting engaged or they hear you got a promotion. They will do something 
to make that situation about them, but not in like, a, I, you know, this needs to be about me because it has to do with me. They don't like that you're experiencing emotions, bad, good, happy, sad, it doesn't matter, without their influence. So it's, they want to still gain access to your emotions and your thoughts, even if they're the ones to leave you. They never fully leave people because they view everybody as objects that they own. They just kind of, I always think, kind of picture a shelf and all these objects are on the shelf and they'll take one down, they'll use it for its purpose, and then they'll put it back up on the shelf until they need it again, could be 20 years down the road. So it's this like rotation. And so it's really for the partner of the narcissist or the family member of the narcissist to be the one to hold the boundary Mm -hmm. because the narcissist never will, never will. They will always check in to see if they have access to you. If you leave the narcissist, and, you know, I think on average it's seven times before somebody actually leaves. And it's the only breakup that really requires an exit strategy because it is not a normal breakup. It's not even a normal toxic relationship breakup. It is very different. And so it needs an exit strategy. You need to make sure you have support you need somewhere to go. You need a separate bank account or have somebody have money for you. you I mean, there's so many things you need to line up for this. Um, they will try to ruin your character. They will... Like you talk about a smear campaign, right? A defamation yes, of character. Yeah. Yes. They will try to just ruin your name, which is called a smear campaign. They will make up stories. They will put pictures on social media of them with their new girlfriends, new boyfriend immediately. And the reason why they do that is so that they look sane. (laughs) They look healthy. How Mm. could they have done this to you? Look at them. They're in a healthy relationship. You're the one who's struggling and crying. Something must be wrong with you. They're fine. Mm. So you're going to get the wrath of the narcissist if you leave them. But they do that to scare you. They do it to manipulate you. They do it because you have wounded them. I mean, the worst thing you can do is, is, is leave a narcissist. And I say that to people who leave. Like, you already won. And people that leave narcissists are the most, they're just the strongest human beings I have ever met. So if you've left the post-separation abuse, which sometimes can be just as bad as the abuse you endured during the relationship, but that post-separation abuse you can handle it. Yes. You can handle it. It's hard and it's sneaky, but you can handle it if you know what to look for and you know how to predict it. Um, once you can predict the blueprint of the narcissist, then you can prepare accordingly and set certain boundaries because you know what's going to happen. You can predict it a mile away. And so that's what I thought we would also cover today, please, Dr. Z, is is this blueprint that you talk about. Because um, you said, like, so everybody's going to have their own patterns, but there there are almost like predictable patterns when you're in that breakup stage mm-hmm. or trying to break loose of a narcissist, right? Mm-hmm. And if you know the patterns, so you say... You say, I have, oh, and the other thing I did want to talk about is this, obviously your own patterns for healing and how important that is, like understanding your own patterns Mm -hmm. so that you're not going to end up back in a situation with another narcissist, (laughs) right? Um, So just going back to the, um, going back to that by itself, you say, I have patients who are so used to the up and downs, the love, hate, the volatile, calm, mm-hmm. a tumultuous relationship, right? And then when you work with their patterns 
and they do come up to be dating again, that often comes up is that they confuse stability with boredom. With boredom. Or lack of love. Yes. From the other person because they're so used to unpredictability in the relationship that they just left. And they yes. think that that's love. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Wow. That a lot. Happens a lot. And it may not have been that they were like that going into the relationship, but the relationship taught them that. Or it could be into that. that that's the pattern that they were used to growing up. And so it's, if you're taught yeah. at a very early age that, you know, abuse is love, love is abuse. And it's a very kind of, it's just all thrown together in a big pile of Blah. I mean, you, you're going to be used to that. And so it's not that you enjoy it and it's not even that you seek it out. It's just that when it happens, it's super familiar and you know how to handle familiar and we're comfortable with familiar. We're creatures of habit. We all hate change because change is hard. And so those patterns feel very comfortable and familiar for you. Yes. And, you know, I love the example you give around like, um, you know, if someone's not throwing a vase and it, throw, like, and it breaks into a million pieces, um, they must not love me, right? Or right. it's because it's really intense. And that's just like, oh, well, yeah. this is why I'm so angry. And uh, this is why, right? Yeah. And if they're not screaming at the top of their lungs, they must not care because right. they're really not showing any effort. So that's that, right. that just like two examples of just like, I could, you can reason, you could kind of think in your mind, like I could see how you could twist yeah. that around in your head going, well, that's, and so if somebody's not doing that, they're not fighting the fight for you. But that's and what they not, don't realize is the amount of effort it takes somebody yes. to stay calm and speak logically to somebody when you're in an argument with your partner, that takes a hell of a lot more effort than throwing it sure a baby does. It sure does. And so while you're dealing with the narcissistic behaviors of somebody you're breaking up with, you're also learning about your own self and your patterns. And, and a lot of that has to do with, and this is another thing that I'm, I'm just really learning more about, is nervous system work. Mm-hmm. And it's like, if you're in a relationship with a narcissist, it's like your nervous system is on like high Shock. alert. It's like you yep. talk about like PTSD. Like that's kind of the, the state that you're in on a steady state. So people who are in these types of relationships, chronic um, chronic narcissistic abuse over years, their fight or flight mechanism, you know, are kind of what keeps us safe, right? Mm-hmm. Is constantly on, meaning their body, mm-hmm. their brain, their heart, their blood pressure, their kidney, literally everything, everything in their body is constantly thinking it's going to die and that it must protect itself at all times. It's not it's not making the connection that, you know, you're just, you're dealing with somebody who's a narcissist, narcissist and when they come home, your stomach drops and you feel like you're going to throw up. I mean, they don't, your, your body is not able to tell that difference. All it knows is that you're in danger. And so your body is prepping itself to either fight, right? Or just freeze. It, it, it's, it's prepping you to do that work. Now, the problem is, is when you have chronic abuse over years, The difference between what they're experiencing and somebody, let's say, with PTSD, so post-traumatic stress disorder, is an isolated traumatic event, right? Mm -hmm. There was a beginning, a middle, and end. You were a certain way prior to that trauma. You you experienced it, and now you're having trouble processing it, integrating it into your day-to-day cognitive, you know, kind of view of the world, right? With domestic violence, with narcissistic abuse, what you see is these small, sometimes big, sometimes small, ongoing chronic episodes of abuse, physical, mental, sexual, financial. And it's more of this 
what we call complex PTSD, which isn't technically a DSM diagnosis, but it's this ongoing trickle of trauma over time where it does a number on your nervous system. You're going to see an increase in a lot more kind of like autoimmune disease, poor sleep, um, joint pain, IBS, migraines, because it, it literally impacts your physical self. It is not mm-hmm. separate higher heart, you know, heart disease, higher cancer rates, all of that stuff, because your cortisol levels are through the roof 24 seven. Yes. And so the healing process involves regulating, learning and, and doing like all these strategies. And, and I, you know, obviously if you can get help by a doctor like yourself, that's trained in narcissistic personality disorder, that would be like the gold standard, right? I mean, to, to work through all of this, because it is like, you're coming out of a very, very abusive relationship. And if you're, if you're not able to get therapy, then like, Oh, I just hope and pray that people will learn, like learn, learn through their Instagram, like get, get your book, yeah. you've got a beautiful journal that can help. Actually, your, your, your journal is about calming. Is it a lot to do with that? Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well. Find your calm. Yeah. I, I, you know, it's, it's also important to, I think, and this is why I love that like, people like you are doing this, that a lot of, of how you treat narcissistic relationships is preventative medicine almost. Yes. It's teaching people the red flags, teaching people what to look for so that they know and they're aware so they don't get into it in the first place. Yes. Because um, yeah. it's much harder to get out of once you're further in. So let's talk about boundaries. We're dealing with narcissists, even if I love boundaries. I know, and, and boundaries are so important. And <laughs> I love in, every, in, in every in every facet of our lives, but especially if we're dealing with a narcissist. Yes. So, so there are obvious. So, one thing, okay, I'm, and we'll talk about. The, okay, okay, let's just talk about the boundaries when you are in a breakup with somebody that that you we're in a relationship with, with a narcissist. So no contact. How important is no contact? And if you, and also the difference between no contact if you don't have children and no contact if you do. Because yeah. you, you have to have contact if you're sharing custody with somebody. Yes. So can we so, talk about how that how you navigate that if you're if you with or without children? Yeah. So with children is always going to be more difficult because like you said, mm-hmm. you have to make contact. However, if this is a narcissist, right, it's going to be much different than dealing with somebody who's an ass, right? Who's just yes. been an ass in your divorce and is just making your life difficult. Narcissistic, is di- it's different. So one of the things I recommend is you can't go no contact, obviously, because you need to speak about the kids. Therefore, every single thing you talk about is in writing. Nothing verbal. If, if it's verbal, it never happened. And sometimes um, courts will have specific court apps, um, Family Wizard is one of them. There's there's certain apps that you can use that are within the court system. So they're mm-hmm. being monitored. So I, I strongly recommend those. Um, you only speak facts. You use no emotion words. So it's, I'm picking the kids up at three. And if someone writes back, you know, well, you're always late and blah, blah, blah. And then, then, then you don't respond. It's yes. only facts. That's it. What okay, can, eat? can we go through this, please, Jamie, mm-hmm. too, about yeah. um, like, what if it's not about the kids? Kate, I was trying to think, this is a really, really good, a, a great skill. I'm just trying to get clear on like, even if, if you're dealing with a narcissist, like, like that's a colleague, let's just say, or yeah. like a, an uncle. Okay. Yeah. And, but, but you say like one of the greatest strategies is just speaking facts. 
I was blown away by this one. I was like, yeah. okay, like, how do I do that? Like, so, <laughs> so this is like, this is where, this is like my, where my total like nerd psychology dorky side comes out. So I, the people don't realize the amount of power they have by changing even just one word that they say mm-hmm. to a narcissist. The empowerment you get from setting boundaries, even by doing the smallest thing, is so amazing. When people actually experience it, it, it's just, I love watching that because they realize, oh my God, like, look what I, look what I did. So please give us examples. We need to to learn. (laughs) So for example, um, let's say that it's a, let's use a parent. Let's say it's a parent and, you know, um, they are saying something like, you know, you, you never, you, you see them at holiday, holiday dinner. You never, you, I haven't heard from you in a while. Right. And that kind of, I haven't heard from yes. you in a while. I know you haven't. What, what, what can, what can they say to that? You're right. You haven't. Or you look really tired. I am. I am. Yeah. <laughs> okay. That's it. Because here's the difference. Ready? You look really tired. Are you eating? Are you sleeping? No, I'm tired. Yes, I'm busy. And they see that they're getting to you. Mm. But if you just give them facts or just kind of mirror what they say, you give them nothing to respond to. So somebody, let's say a a mom texts you and, and she's a narcissist and she's yelling at you because you ignored her when you saw her, but you were with all your kids and you couldn't really do much, whatever. You ignored me. You ignored me. You don't respond. But if she responds to you and says, what time is dinner? Five o'clock. Well, are you going to talk to me now when I see you at dinner? Because you didn't talk to me when I saw you earlier. No response. So it literally can go back and forth, back and forth. But you only respond to fact-based information. So so a fact would be like, yes, I will talk to you. That's not because that is a fact. I would, even, I would just say, yeah, yes. Okay. Right. Yeah. Like I wouldn't, I, I always like to think of a rock wall, you know, the, you want to yes. give them a blank wall. Anytime you give them any emotion words, ask them questions, try to defend yourself with an explanation. You give them things to hold on to. No defense. Give them nothing. The best way to manage a narcissist is to starve them of the access to your brain, to your thoughts, to your emotions. Starve them. Wow. Okay. Gray rock. You say be a gray rock. Be a gray, that's <laughs> completely, right. completely neutral. Yep. Right? No emotion. Just like no nothing. rolling your eyes. Right. Give them because nothing. That's, right. Nothing. No rolling your eyes. No hanging up on them. <laughs> um, you know, just very neutral. You give them nothing. Yep. And so, when they so, can't get yeah. the supply from you, they, they go elsewhere. Yes. They go to, they, they try to find a new supply. Mm-hmm. Okay. So closure, this is, this was something that I learned as well, which I thought that was, that was, it's great is that you just put it out there, right? You're saying you do not need closure from a narcissistic relationship and you, you probably won't get it, right? You'll, you'll never get it because they know you want it. Yeah. And they will hold on to that for dear life because they know it's controlling your emotions and your thoughts and your behaviors. So 
you can't give the power of closure over to a narcissist and really honestly to any to anybody because yeah. oftentimes even if you do get closure from a non-narcissist it never really feels the way you want it to anyway and you kind of hype it up and you don't want somebody else to be responsible for your emotions so you will never get closure from a narcissist for two reasons one they'll never give you that control they'll never give up that control two they don't feel they need to apologize for anything. And if they do apologize, it's because they need something in that moment or they're trying to manipulate something in that moment or, or there's, there's some sort of motive behind it. It's never going to be genuine. Yeah. Ever. So for closure, you don't need it from anyone, but you certainly are never going to get it from, from a narcissist. It's never going to feel genuine. And you're still going to carry that pit in your stomach if you're waiting on the narcissist to dictate how you feel. Yeah. Well, I hope for anybody that's listening that they'll take your course, Dr. Z, because it was, it was fantastic. And you get, you just get so much information. Um, and of course your podcast and, you know, you do say like, you know, Obviously, it's with, with any breakup, um, but especially with a narcissistic breakup, like healing is not a linear process. No. And, you, and it's normal to still love this person. It's normal to miss them, right? Yes. Um, you'll, you'll have waves of grief. You say, treat yourself with kindness. Yes. You've been through a war and post-breakup, that war will likely continue. Yes. So you just yes. have to be kind to yourself and give yourself so much and, and educate yourself on narcissism, which I think, wow. I mean, I just learned so much. I'm going to continue to learn about it. Um, and identifying the patterns and knowing the blueprint of that person's patterns is just, it's such an empowering thing yes, so that you can look at this more objectively, right? Yes. You say like when you're out of it. When you're out of it, you can look at it so much clearer and you realize there's such a distinct pattern and such a blueprint that you can use to predict and make yourself feel more in control. And I, you know, and I always tell people, you know, who go back because people in narcissistic relationships will break up, go back, break up, go back. I, I tell them don't, assuming you're physically safe, don't beat yourself up for going back again, because it, just like you said, it's, it's not a linear process. And sometimes it takes going back a couple of times to see that nothing's going to change. Yes. And, 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 that's and you might go, and it's funny because going back, it's almost like this, if you tell me if this is true or not, the, the stages are probably going to reverse. It's like, okay, you're, now when you go back with somebody, it's almost like love bombing again, love, love yes. bombing, bombing, bombing. Yes. And then it's, and then stage two will probably set in where the devaluing is starting again. And it'll come in sooner and faster. And the love bombing stage will never be ever what it once was because it doesn't need to yeah. be. Yep. Exactly. So, so can you tell us about your book? Keep your, find your calm. Mm-hmm. Yes. So find your calm um, and then find good habits is the second one. They mm-hmm. are very integrative workbooks and they're strategies that are based on empirical research. So they're very much focused on mindfulness, acceptance and commitment therapy, which is kind of teaching yourself how to basically sit with your discomfort rather than constantly trying to do things to get rid of it. Because the more we try to avoid and get rid of our uncomfortable stuff, the more stuck we become and the more mm-hmm. engaged in behaviors we are that we don't value. So it looks at your values, are your behaviors in line with what you value? And it's just a lot of good kind of grounding exercises that you can do and you can write them in the book, but you can also just do them. I love them because you could do them while you're in a meeting. No one will know you're doing them. You could do it while you're driving. And so there are a lot of things that you can do 
um, that people won't realize you're doing, but that you're still constantly working on yourself. It teaches you how to sit with your discomfort, how to you know kind of feel your breathing. Um, and then more importantly, which I think is always the most important part of therapy is, okay, I know why I do what I do. I have all these skill, skills. Now what? So it really helps you kind of plan for future behaviors and how you're going to manage them and strategies to do that. Exactly. And people could also um, go on your website, listen to your podcast. Um, yes. Where, 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 where else would you recommend people? Um, my, my website's drjamiezuckerman.com. And on there, um, there's a workshop tab uh, for different workshops. You can take my books are on there as well. Um, my podcast is It's Me, Dr. Z. And you can get that wherever you listen to your podcast. And then my Instagram is Dr. Z psychologist. And I post a lot of stuff about narcissism, um, a lot of videos about narcissism on there as well. Well, you're doing amazing work. And I just want to thank you so much. I, like I said, all week I've been learning from you and I'm just like, oh, this is so good. Like, I I, I feel like, I feel like I didn't know, really know anything about narcissists. I thought I did, but now I really know a lot more. <laughs> and if I've got any friends that are dating, I'm, I'm going to be giving them all these tips and be like, no, 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 watch out. That's love bombing. Watch out. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Dr. Z. I really thank appreciate you so your time. Much. Thank you for having me. Please mark your calendars for April 15th, 2023. When we at Real Love Ready will be hosting an in-person relationship summit held in Vancouver, British Columbia with world-renowned experts who will spend a full day teaching us how to love better and build stronger loving relationships. Buy your tickets at realloveready.com. We will see you there. Please visit realloveready.com to become a member of our community. Submit your relationship questions for our podcast experts at reallovereadypodcast at gmail.com. We read everything you send. Be sure to rate and review this podcast. Your feedback helps us get you the relationship advice and guidance you need. The Real Love Ready Podcast is recorded and edited by Maya Anstey. Transcriptions by otter.ai and edited by Maya Anstey. We at Real Love Ready acknowledge and express gratitude for the Coast Salish people the stewards of the land on which we work and play, and encourage everyone listening to take a moment to acknowledge and express gratitude for those that have stewarded and continue to steward the land that you live on as well.